Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Again in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and if you're a bookmark kind of person, then you can put a marker there and you can also put one in Mark chapter 6, Luke 4 and Mark 6. I'm going to be reading beginning in verse 16. It says this in the New Living Translation. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. This is what he read out of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him, was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. They asked this question, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? And then Jesus said, you'll undoubtedly quote uh, me this proverb, physician heal thyself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, Jesus said, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed up for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of those widows. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and he went on his way. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would anoint the, 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 the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word, but, but more importantly, Lord, the doing. I pray that you give us courage, give us faith to both hear it and apply it in our lives so that you can be glorified, that your kingdom can be advanced. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, When, when you work for five years, for a particular position in the company that you work for and they give it to the new guy. When your friend has become unavailable to you but seems to be free for everybody else. When you try to sit at the lunch table 
And they make it clear that the empty chair is not empty for you. When you spent 50 bucks on your promposal and he turns you down. When you've been faithful to your spouse through the rough patches and they choose to walk away anyway. What do all those things have in common? It's rejection. It's rejection. Rejection is one of life's most difficult, but unfortunately, one of life's most common experiences. All of us have to deal with rejection at one time or the other, for most of us, multiple times. And what might surprise you is that Jesus Christ himself dealt with rejection almost constantly. When we think of Jesus, we think of the high, the high points of his ministry. We think of the triumphal entry moments when the crowd is thronging him and they're shouting to him and they're shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. But we forget that less than seven days from then, that very same crowd is going to be shouting something very, very different. They're going to shout, crucify him. Isaiah 53 said he was a man of grief and acquainted with sorrow, that he was a man who was despised and rejected, rejected. So the question that begs to be asked is, who in the world rejects Jesus and why? So last week we, we began this series called Rejecting Jesus so that we could explore the answers to those questions and find out why people reject Jesus so that we can make sure that we don't have the roots of that the seeds of that operating in our lives, and also to, to learn something about how to deal with rejection from watching Jesus, all right? So last week we learned that some people rejected Jesus because they were more comfortable with crazy. They were more comfortable with the craziness of their lives that they were accustomed to than, than they were with moving forward in whatever freedom was gonna cost. Now the video of that message is on our YouTube channel, uh, at Covenant Life West Georgia. You can go back and watch that in any of the messages. The audio is available by podcast on all of the podcast platforms. So you help yourself and share it as you see fit. Today's message is, is called uh, Different Than Expected. People rejected Jesus because he was different than they expected him to be. The passage we just read, Jesus visits his hometown of Nazareth for the first time since he had begun his ministry. When he began his ministry, he moved his sort of ministry headquarters to the city of Capernaum up on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee, and he hadn't been back home. So he came back home for a visit, and his, re his reputation in ministry had preceded him. And when he came to the synagogue, they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and asked him to read. Now, that, nothing unusual there. Every week in the synagogues all over the world, really, they, they did that. They did readings from various parts, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of that from what we call the Old Testament. Now, it may very well have just been what the attendant handed him, or it may have been intentional on Jesus' part, but he, it says he opened the scroll to the words of the prophet Isaiah from what we call Isaiah chapter 61. And, and it was known to be a messianic prophecy. It was clear that this was talking about the Jewish Messiah. And Jesus opened it, he read it, and then he sat down. And when they looked at him in anticipation, he said, today, this thing is fulfilled right here and right now. Jesus had just proclaimed himself to be the Messiah in his own hometown synagogue. 
Now for us, we've had 2,000 years of perspective, 2,000 years of history, 2,000 years of theology behind us. That doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. It seems like Jesus just stated the obvious, but it was not obvious for them. This was a big deal. This came out of left field for these people who just went to church on a, on a Sabbath like they always did. And, and they, th- this, this issue of Messiah was, was, uh, was something to be grasped with for them. They, they'd been waiting. They'd been longing for the Messiah for centuries. For millennia, the Jewish people, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, were, were longing for the day when the offspring of Eve would bruise the head of the serpent. So when Jesus brings up this idea of the Messiah, that's a loaded, that's, that's a loaded topic, loaded with lots of expectations. In their minds... The Messiah was going to be a political leader. He was going to set up Israel as his throne, and it would be the worldwide dominating force. He would throw off the Roman Empire, their Roman oppressors. He would elevate the Jewish people back to the place of prominence as God's chosen people. So the idea of Messiah sitting right here among them, I'm sure, had to stir up some serious expectations. But the more they thought about it, and, and the more they contemplated, and the more time they had to process what Jesus had said, and the more Jesus talked, the more obvious it became to them that he is not who they were hoping he would be. This is not the Messiah they had hoped for. He was different than they expected. And so they turned on him rather abruptly, and they rejected him. Now, this reaction, this rejection to him was so almost biological. It was so visceral. It was so emotional. I I would venture to say it was so demonic that they actually tried to kill Jesus. Nazareth is built on a a hill, and and on one part outside of the the village, there's a, a pretty sheer cliff. They actually tried to throw Jesus off the cliff. So in case you're struggling and wondering if you've been rejected, when an angry mob of church people tries to throw you off the cliff, it's a sure sign you've been rejected. But what was it? What caused that? Why did they reject Jesus like that? And and the simple answer is because he was different than they expected him to be. It's not that he wasn't who he said he was because clearly he was. It's just that he didn't fit the mold. He was different than they expected. And we have to check our hearts to make sure that our expectations aren't causing us to reject Jesus as well. And maybe this will help us understand also as we go through this uh, why we may have been rejected by other people as well. I want to go to this other passage in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Now, as I read both of these passages, they're so similar, I actually thought they were two accounts of the same, uh, of the same happening. It's actually two different visits to the city of Nazareth. So I want you to read this too. Jesus left that part of the country wherever he was, returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The, the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, this is a different set of questions, they said, where did he get all this wisdom Where did he get the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. You've been scoffed at. 
He, he's just a carpenter. The son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. His sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet's honored everywhere except his, home to his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't, do any, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, it is unbe- speaking of unbelief, it is unbelievable to me that Jesus went back again. Listen, y'all, if you try to throw me off the cliff, I'm getting the message. I ain't coming back. Right? I'm not giving you a second chance to throw me off the cliff. Jesus loved these people enough that he came back. And, and the, it was a different visit. And it was the same result. The people of Jesus' hometown rejected him again. And I think it's not just that Jesus didn't fit the, the expectation of the Messiah of the day because the Jewish people in general all over the world had in mind that he'd be a conquering hero, he'd be a king, he'd be a military figure. But maybe more specifically for the people of Nazareth than for anybody else in the world is that they couldn't see him for who he was because he didn't fit the mold that they had him in. That maybe Messiah is going to be different than I expect. Maybe he's not going to fit the mold that I have him in, but he's sure not going to be a carpenter. He's sure not going to be a kid from our neighborhood. He's, he's, he, he makes dinette sets and love seats for goodness sake. Do you know Isaiah 53 says that Jesus wasn't particularly attractive? So the Hollywood versions of, of Jesus with his long flow, I never get to do that, so I thought I'd just try that now. His, his long wavy locks and his piercing blue eyes that draw you in. and it, That's just not the reality according to Scripture. But I want you to understand, this was a nation whose first king, King Saul, was head and shoulders above everybody else. Big, strong, strapping dude. And, and their most revered king, King David, was, was brave and strong and brutally handsome. Jesus just an average guy. If you see Jesus in the crowd, there's nothing particularly attractive about him that would catch your eye. Nothing that's going to draw you to him physically. And so here's Jesus sitting in his hometown where they watched him grow up. He proclaims himself the Messiah and they go, hey, this guy? It can't be. How can this guy be God? So they rejected him because he didn't fit the mold, because he was different than they expected. Now, the truth is, people are still put off by that. Some people are still put off by the God of this Bible. See, people come to church for a lot of different reasons. People come to church with a set of expectations, and sometimes those expectations are dictated by their own need, their own wants, their own wishes of what they want God to be. Some of those are dictated by the cultural norms, what people expect a God would be like. But what they find in this Bible oftentimes leaves them put off. It leaves them offended. Because the God of this Bible is a God who defines truth for himself. 
The God of this Bible is one who has very clear expectations for his followers. He, he defines right and wrong for himself. He doesn't worry about what the culture says. The God of this Bible has a sense of justice mixed with mercy that is offensive to conventional wisdom. They, people come expecting a God of harshness and they find in the word a God of unconditional, unconditional love. Or on the other hand, they expect a God who just allows them to say the magic words and then live however they want to live. And they find a God who says, I discipline those who are my own. Either way, the God who is and the God they expected to find are not the same thing. And so they, many people reject Jesus. How many, I've said this many times, I'm sure you have too. You, you have a friend and you say, if I could just get you to come to church with me, if I could just get you to meet Jesus, then I know that you would give him your life too. And I understand the sentiment and I understand the heartbeat, but the reality is the real Jesus causes people to reject him sometimes. Even for believers, we get tempted to reject Jesus sometimes, don't we? Any honest believers in the house today? It, sometimes we get tempted to do that because sometimes he does things in ways we didn't expect. Sometimes he does things that we didn't approve. When there seems to be a clear and wonderful path forward, sometimes we even remind God of that in our prayers, don't we? Now, God, if you would just get this done and get this done like this, that'd be awesome. And then suddenly, for some reason, he thinks he's God and he takes a left turn that we didn't see coming. When, when God allows things to happen that we didn't want, when he causes us to, to go through things that we didn't sign up for, when this walk with Jesus turns out to be something different than we expected, the temptation is there for us to reject Jesus and go our own way. And listen, I've been there. I've been there. For those of you who've been here for a while, you've heard me share this part of my testimony, but I really feel compelled to share it again. So if you will indulge me, I would appreciate that. Before I was the lead pastor here, um, I was the worship leader here, or music pastor, whatever I was called. I was called a lot of things, I promise. So I, was, I led worship here for 15 years. And, and, and I went during that time, I went through a season that was so dark and so difficult, and yet at the same time, so clearly God-ordained that I remember standing right here on this platform leading worship to a God I wasn't sure I still believed in. And that's just the truth. I wasn't sure I could allow myself to be devoted to a God who not only allowed, but apparently led me into a season with this much pain. And I wanted to quit. Not just quit my job. I wanted to quit on Jesus. And I think part of it is having come up in the Pentecostal church of the 80s and the 90s and the, and the early 2000s, I had this expectation of what walking with God was supposed to be like, right? Because we preached about favor and we preached about blessing. 
We preached about all of that. Unfortunately, we, looking back, we blended the, 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 the gospel of Jesus with the American dream and turned it into something it was never intended to be. And so my problem was that my, my, my theological construct was nowhere near my present reality. And I was having a hard time with it. Here I was doing exactly what God had called me to do. And God was not meeting my expectations. This was not what I signed up for. This was different than expected. God was shattering the mold that I had created for him. And I was seriously tempted to reject him and walk away. But thank God for his grace, right? Thank God for his mercy. Thank God that although we reject him, he never rejects us. Though I was tempted to walk away from him, he was never once tempted to walk away from me. That he, he was rejected for us so that even at my lowest point, I could be accepted by him. And he led me back to a place of faith in our relationship. He led me back to a place uh, of understanding of him and his sovereignty. Led me to the understanding that there will always be stuff about God that we don't understand. Led me to this revelation that God is much different than we expect him to be. And that just has to be enough. I referenced this last week, but there was this particular time of teaching in Jesus' ministry here on earth that when he shared it, it, people literally walked away from him in droves. Like they were, it was, it was obvious that people were walking away. And Jesus looked at the 12 disciples and said, so y'all going to go too? Are y'all going to reject me? Are you going to walk away too? And what Peter said um, in that moment was the same conclusion that I came to in that season that I just described to you. Peter looked at Jesus and he said, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? You're the only way to the Father. You're the only one whose words lead us to eternal life. Nobody else can do that. So where else are we going to go? And it wasn't exactly a a rousing statement of support. It was simply an honest statement of the fact. You're God. I'm not. I don't know what else I'd do. (laughs) And it's how I felt. In that season, I I, I was in a place where I just said, God, I don't understand. And I'm still offended. And I'm still hurt. And I'm still confused. And I'm still suffering. But I, I know that you are the one true God. I know you are who you say you are. And I don't know why you do what you do. And I wish you'd do something different in my life right now. But I know that you're God. And I know you have a reason for what you do. And I know eventually it's going to work together somehow for my good. And that's just going to have to be enough. And I didn't take off running when I said it. And I didn't have this unexplainable joy. My situation had not changed. My circumstance was no different. But there was a bedrock there that I could build on. 
that wasn't going to move. If, you, if, if the God that you found is different than the God that you expected, don't reject him. Trust him. It's a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. You will never understand yourself to God. You will never explain yourself all the way to God. There's going to be some things that you simply cannot understand. And honestly, we, we really wouldn't have it any other way because if we could fully understand and explain God, then we'd be greater than him. So what about the times that you've been rejected yourself? The times that people have pushed you away? Sometimes we get rejected for the same reasons that Jesus did. Because we don't fit people's expectations. Y'all ever uh, come a little short of somebody's expectation? You're not who they thought you were supposed to be? In, in particular, people have unfair or unrealistic expectations sometimes, right? Sometimes we get rejected because of our past, we get rejected because of our past. It's particularly true of the people who are closest to us, right? Or the people who've known us the longest. Because people reject you based on who you have been or based on who, where you came from. They're blinded by what they've seen in the past and they're blinded to the point that they can't see you in the present and they certainly have no vision of you in the future. Like Jesus they may see what you're doing and be duly impressed for the moment, but when they realize you're from the same place they're from, when they realize that you had the same education, the same upbringing, the same opportunities, the same limitations, but you're doing way better than them, or you're doing different than them, or that you broke out of the mold that they thought they had to settle for, then they start looking at you for reasons why you can't or shouldn't be doing what they're seeing. They reject you because you present a picture for them of an opportunity that they wasted. And it's painful for them. And so you're different than they expected you to be because they expected you to turn out just like they did. Sometimes people reject us because of our present, because of who we are in this moment. Sometimes people can't get past who they see standing in front of them. For Jesus, these people, his, the people he grew up with, the people he looked up to, they could not get over the fact that he looked just like they looked, but he was claiming to be, to be divine. He was claiming to be different. He was claiming to be the Messiah. When, when Bartholomew was invited to follow Jesus, this is in, I think, the second chapter of John, it's, a really, it's really funny because it's so startling in, in what Bartholomew says. I think it's Andrew, Peter, Philip, one of them comes up and says, hey, we, we think we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Why don't you come check him out? And, and Bartholomew actually said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's like, Messiah maybe, but Nazareth? Like for real? Nazareth? Talk about low expectations. Talk about pigeonholing somebody. But it's no different for us today, is it? People size us up by what they see. And they reject us for trying to break free from their low expectations of us. 
Can anything good come out of Bremen? Can anything good come out of Tallapoosa or Harrison County or Carroll County or West Georgia or wherever you're from? Can anything good come from wherever you're from? Can anything good come out of the trailer park that you were raised in? Can anything good come out of foster care? Can anything good come out of the drug addiction that you struggled through? You're just a poor country boy. You can't do that. You're a woman. You, you can't do that. You're black. You're Hispanic. You're Asian. They'll never accept you. You're, you're too big. You can't be a model. You're not in the gifted program in high school. You can't expect to get an advanced degree in college. You're not pretty enough. You can't be in television. You're not talented enough. Nobody would ever want to watch you perform. And the list goes on and on and on of people who've been rejected by people who couldn't, who couldn't see who they could be because they were too blinded by who they are in the moment. See, sometimes people's vision is limited by their eyes. Don't let somebody else's expectations limit you. Don't let their low expectations of you become a chain that binds you from doing what God called you and created you to do. Break free from those expectations. Break free from the rejection that people offer to you. But if we're being honest, sometimes the people, the person who rejects us the most is in the mirror. We reject ourselves. We limit ourselves and reject God's plans for us because we can't get past our own expectations and limitations. We get paralyzed by what we see in the mirror. But we forget the mirror only shows reflection. It doesn't do projection. It's not going to show you who you're going to be. It shows you who you are. It's not the finished product. It just shows you the raw material. The mirror is the before. It takes faith to see the after. I served on staff for three other pastors before I became a lead pastor. I was a staff member for over 20 years. Um, and, and quite honestly, let me say this. I was perfectly satisfied with that. I thought... That's what God's plan for my life was going to be, was always be the guy behind the guy, always behind the scenes, just taking care of the stuff that he didn't have time or didn't want to do. I, I was okay with that. But when the opportunity arose for me to be the lead pastor here in 2012, not only was I not sure, but a whole lot of other people weren't sure either. See, I knew who I was. I knew where I came from. I didn't know who I could be. I didn't know if I was going to be enough. I didn't know if I had it. I, I knew the church. I mean, I knew that for sure. I knew the other pastors that I had served. I knew a whole bunch of other pastors. And what I knew from all of that knowledge is that I wasn't like them. I didn't fit that mold. I had no formal training. My degrees in middle grades education, and the best I can tell, None of y'all are in middle school. <laughs> Thank God for that, right? I, there were, there were, I didn't have any theological training. I didn't have any pastoral leadership degrees. Nothing like that. So there were lots of doubts, internal and external, 
because I just wasn't what people expected a pastor to be. And I'm going to tell you, the road has been rocky. It's been rocky. And those of you who were here when I was the music pastor and are still here, you are blessed among people. You are a very patient people. A lot of people couldn't take the journey and they had to walk away, right? I, I remember going to state meetings or camp meetings or services and conferences and I'd hear these guys preach and I would literally drive home and you can ask Robbie, I'd literally drive home and, and, and contemplate quitting because I just, I couldn't do that. That's not me. And I could never meet that expectation. I could never fit that mold. I remember a guy a few years ago um, who came and, and visited the church here on one Sunday morning and he, he left the building. I think he had kids when he got his kids, took him to the car and he came back in to tell me that he thought he, that I had a few good things to say that morning, but if I would just not use notes that I'd be so much better and he, and he liked me better and he felt like God wanted him to come tell me that and he turned around and he walked out the door and he never came back. Now, I don't know what his intentions were, but it felt a lot like rejection, right? You don't meet the standard. You don't meet the expectation. You're not, you're not it. And I can tell you a hundred more stories just like that, just like you, just like you, of, of the subtle and not so subtle ways that we get rejected in our lives. But can you handle some good news? Y'all okay with, with some good news? Uh, I, the good news is obvious to everybody. I'm still not the greatest pastor or the greatest preacher in the world, and I'm not who I want to be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be either, right? And I'm different than I was eight years ago. I'm a different human being. I'm still flawed. I'm more broken, less sure of myself, but much more sure of God and much more comfortable in my own skin. Because I've come to realize that I will never meet everybody's expectations. It's just not possible. I will never be good enough for some people. And that's okay. Because at the end of my time on this earth, I won't stand before a congregation of people who will judge me. I will stand before the one who called me and who equips me and changes me and empowers me and shapes me and molds me and conforms me to his image right? I'll stand and be judged not by how well I fulfilled the expectations of man, but by how obedient I was to the call of God on my life. And you will be too. So don't limit God because you're different than you expected him to use you for and what he's calling you to do. I don't know if a person who has received the call of God who said, yep, that's me, nailed it, God, good job. I'll be awesome at that. Right? It's usually terrifying. Like, read the Bible. Almost everybody goes, me? Do that? You've got to be kidding. I know, like, you're God and stuff, but could you rethink that? Because I think you got the wrong guy. But God has spent thousands of years defying people's expectations. We sang it last week. God turns graves into gardens. 
right? He turns bones into armies. He turns seas into highways. He makes, he brings beauty from ashes. He brings joy from sorrow and weeping. He turns weeping into dancing. They looked at Jesus and they expected fanfare. They expected pomp and circumstance, but there was only Jesus, the lowly Jesus. And quite honestly, the people that Jesus uses are a bit of a motley crew as well, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he didn't choose not many wise. What's that say about us? Not many wise. And you're like, well, I'm the one smart guy among this whole bunch of dummies around here. Not many, not many proud either, so calm down. Not, not many wise, not many wealthy, not many well-placed and well-connected. Not the bold and the beautiful, the meek and the mild, the common people, the fishermen, the tax collectors. It's the prostitutes, not the self-proclaimed prophets. It's the manger, not the magnificent palace. When God calls, a farmer can be a prophet, a shepherd can be a king, a murderer can be an apostle, a liar can be the father of God's chosen people. Don't get caught up in the limiting expectations of small-minded people with no faith. Quit talking to the least spiritual people in your circle. They will never encourage you in your faith. They will never tell you what you think you need to hear to feel comfortable in moving forward. That's just not how that works. Don't worry if you're rejected because you're different than people expected you to be. Take the limits off. Take the brakes off. Let God promote you. Let God use you. Let him change you. Let him anoint you. Let him call you. Let him teach you. Just go do what he tells you to do and don't worry about the people who reject you and try to hold you back because it says more about who they are than about who you are. Can anything good come from where you come from? Yes. With God, all things are possible. Amen? So what do you do when you're rejected? What do you do re when you're rejected because you're different than what people expected? So I checked both of these accounts, one in Luke, one in Mark. Do you know what the next verse in both places says? The next three words after they say, and they tried to throw him off the cliff, or they rejected him. It says, then Jesus went. He was rejected in Nazareth both times. So he just got up and went where he was welcome. Not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody is going to pick up what you're putting down. Not everybody is going to welcome your ministry. Not everybody is going to welcome your leadership. Not even everybody will welcome the help that you feel called to provide. But don't let it stop you from doing what God called you to do. If he called you to it, there's a need for it somewhere. So just move on until the hand that you are finds the glove that God created you to animate. Just keep moving. 
We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.